All right, we'll keep an eye on it, Anderson. Thank you very much. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to the Primetime COVID Command Center. And here's why we're doing it. This is the fact. There's never been a more dangerous time for children in this pandemic than right now. The days of saying, well, at least the kids aren't getting this, those days are over. Kids make up more than one in four new weekly cases in America. One in four. And now the whole country is heading back to school. I got kids just starting in middle school, high school, and college. And I live in a pretty righty place. And still, parents are on edge and worried about kids getting sick, especially the ones who can't be vaccinated, and they're right to feel that way. More than 251,000 kid infections just in the past week, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's the largest number since the pandemic began. Cases are accelerating so are hospitalizations. And it will likely get worse, at least for a while. That's the problem. What's the solution? Solution as always, part them, part us. A lot of kids getting sick are unvaccinated. When will the FDA approve the vaccines for kids 12 and under, or under 12? Right now it's 12 to 18. I'll be talking tonight to an influential member of Congress who's pushing for answers, and so will we. Los Angeles, could become the first major school district in the nation to mandate COVID vaccines for students 12 and older attending class in person. Mandate. The Board of Education there has a vote scheduled for tomorrow. As for us, too many adults remain unvaccinated, and that puts kids at risk. Too many places are playing politics with masks, and that means refusing to wear them. That's the only kind of politics that can be played with masks. And the longer those politics are played, the worse the spreading will get. COVID claimed the lives of 13 school employees from the Miami-Dade County Public Schools in Florida over the last three weeks. Three weeks. All were unvaccinated. The Second Circuit judge there just ruled against the governor's appeal to ban mask mandates in schools, saying the governor's mandate would violate the Florida Parents' Bill of Rights. The case will now be appealed, but during the appeal, the ban is banned. Governor DeSantis remains defiant. I don't know why the the masks have politics around it. Let the parents make the decision that's best for their kids. If you want the masks, do it. If you don't, don't. That's fine. We've seen the numbers decline uh, across the board in Florida. Uh, school, when school came in, the data has never supported that schools are driving community uh, spread. First of all, that's a false premise. The issue isn't whether schools are causing cases all through the community. It's how do you keep kids from getting sick in communities? It's a false premise. Now, the good news is new case numbers in Florida are down a bit from a record high last week of more than 151,000. So you would think this is a time to be extra safe. And the governor knows he is making it political. Remember, he is Mr. Don't Fauci, my Florida. This is about the school community and what your kid exposes my kid to. See, that's where your freedom to do what you want ends, right? You get to do what you want until it impacts somebody else and their freedom. The governor knows this. He's an Ivy League trained lawyer. He knew a judge would likely not allow him to ban masks, 
Meanwhile, parents are paying the price for the politics. Let's bring in two of them who were part of the lawsuit that led to this Florida judge's ruling today to allow mask mandates in schools without punishment. John and Robin McCarthy. They got a six-year-old. Liam has got asthma. He's now quarantining at home because he was exposed to another first grader at school who, guess what, tested positive. Uh, Welcome both of you to primetime. How's the little man? He's well. Good. Thank you. And I know you've been doing some of the rapid tests, right? And so far they're negatives, right? We, we got both back today. They were negative because we believe because of the mask. So the masks work. They really do. Look, better than nothing, so right? Nobody thinks the mask is perfect. Nobody should think the vaccine is perfect, but they help. Now, you guys are concerned about your kid. You're concerned about you. Um, but, John, you're also concerned about your parents, right? Correct. I mean... A child gets it. If they have masks, I believe they're protected. If they don't have masks, like some of the counties in in the state of Florida, they get it. The teachers get it. As you said, 13 teachers here in Miami-Dade County had already died from this. What what do we have to do? I mean, we have to do it. We have to follow the science. Do what we have to do to not just protect our children, but to protect our teachers and protect the people that are the elderly, that are most vulnerable. I believe my son and others in his class are, are vulnerable as well. And that's why we are pushing uh, to keep this a common sense thing. We were looking for a solution. We're not looking for a problem. We want just to, to, to keep our kids safe. We, so, I mean, we're in the United States of America. Have we ever had to go to court to keep our children safe? It's, it's just, I feel like I'm in the twilight zone. For us, um, what happened to us this weekend is that we weren't even told that the kid tested positive until Tuesday, and we had already gone home to celebrate the Jewish holiday with my parents. And my um, my dad teaches at University of Florida and is a doctor and a professor. So the whole sh- so the whole issue was is that we've endangered our parents. We exposed. No, 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 come on, buddy. Let him go. It's okay. Let him go. Let him do whatever he wants. I got three of them at home. You gotta <laughs> let him go. Um, it's go ahead, Robin. Watch out, watch out, watch out. Um, yeah, so, yeah, you can't control a six-year-old. So, you know, we didn't even get told until Tuesday. He was exposed, he was exposed on Friday. So the whole issue is, is that we exposed so many people, but thank God our PCR test just came back literally two hours ago negative. So. Well, here's the good news. He's got plenty of energy, and I respect it, and I like the Spider-Man shirt. Luckily, it's not Iron Man. Then we'd have a problem. But... Uh, Robin, uh, first of all, Shana Tova uh, and a happy new year. It's not getting off to a great start, though, uh, in terms of us caring about one another. Um, Robin, why is the idea of let parents choose not good enough? For our situation, no, no. For our situation, it's not good because, as you can see, they just put our child in danger, not necessarily in his school, but he has asthma. So when parents, you know, send their kid to school without a mask on, they potentially can expose him, which could be fatal in our situation. So for us, it's if you don't wear a mask, you could potentially, you know, endanger our child. Now, the governor makes a different case. He says this is about parents making choices, John, for their kids. And that's the way a school and a community should run. What's your response? I mean, the governor, I don't believe believes what he's saying. I mean, his kids are being homeschooled, so he's either him or his wife. But um, you have children going in. Look at some of the other counties where they're having to quarantine the whole school. Our, our son was next to somebody 
who had COVID. I don't believe he caught it at the school. The whole class, this whole class is fine. Why? Because we're following the science in Miami-Dade County. We know what works and we're doing a fantastic job. So we have one child out of 21 that had COVID. As of right now, none of those other kids in the class caught this. So I, I, my response to the, to the Governor DeSantis is, is he's not sending his kids to, uh, to school. He's homeschooling them. We don't have that luxury. So this is about using common sense and keeping our kids safe. And I just, I, I don't, I don't, I do not believe that he believes some of the things he's saying mm. or his wife does it. One of the two. Robin, because you're part of, of a we, of a separate. A oh, go ahead, John. Finish your point. I mean, the point is, is that if he believed what he was saying, why isn't he sending his kids to school? He pulled his kids from school what back in August. So he wants our kids to go to school. We live in the largest county with the most cases. My niece works in uh, Miami uh, Children's Hospital and they're just full there. This whole state of Florida is full. I'm, I'm talking children. This, this new variant of the Delta variant. I'm not a doctor, but. It's supposed to be more transmittable and, and, and more dangerous. And if you have a child like my son who has asthma, he can end up in the hospital. My nephew was in the hospital 14 days. Imagine a child being in the hospital, not being able to see mommy and daddy. Can you imagine that? They have to stay outside because they have COVID. So no, it's, I, hear uh, you. I, I get the fear. It's real. And that's why you've been so active. Are uh, you, John, but also right. you, Robin, you're part of a separate federal suit with other parents claiming that DeSantis's mandatory school mask ban violates the ADA, uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act, because it places your medically sensitive kid, you know, him having asthma, in jeopardy. Uh, what's the update from the lawyers on that suit? They just had a hearing today. Um, I believe DeSantis was arguing that we hadn't exhausted all the remedies, but that was kind of a moot point because we're saying that all children should have access to safe schools. So I think we're just waiting on the judge's ruling and we're just going to go from there. Um, that's pretty much it. You know, I guess the fear has got to be that kids, how long have you been back in school? Two weeks. All right. So <laughs> you're two weeks. You're ahead of us, right? In the Northeast, we usually go back after Labor Day. A couple of schools, uh, school districts went back before, but it's just ramping up. That's the concern, right? Kids are just starting to be together again uh, in big groups. We still don't know when we can get them vaccinated. Even if you can get Liam vaccinated, you're going to have to talk to the doctor, obviously, about the asthma. Um, but is that your concern, John, that this is just the beginning? My, my concern is, is that we do everything we can to, to keep our children safe until they can get vaccinated. So I don't know if it's going to be next month or the month after. I think it's worth the wait. We shouldn't put any children in, in harm's way with a vaccination they say, some say it's going to be October, some say it's going to be November. We're going to do what we got to do to get where we want to go. And that's what we're doing for our son, for the other children, for our teachers, and for other Floridians here in Florida that are trying to keep everybody. This is a pandemic. I mean, my grandparents were, were from New York, and, uh, and in New York, they had the Spanish flu. And you know how they beat it. They used masks. They used it. They didn't have the science that we have now. And they were able to get over that. So we're going to do what we got to do to get where we want to go. And what we want is our child at the end of the day safe. I got and you. your child 
and other children's. Let me ask you one thing, and then you can go uh, and and take care of the kid. But I got to tell you, he's doing a good job. For a six-year-old, I saw him share some of his snack. That's some rare air for a six-year-old boy, especially, to be sharing. You guys are doing a good job. Let me ask you something. In fairness to DeSantis, you know, you got a six-year-old. His kids are like five, three, and one. So, you know, a couple of them are barely in school yet. But I take your point uh, about whether or not he believes what he's doing. How have other parents in your school, because your school was already uh, going against DeSantis's ruling, are the parents with you on this, John? Yes, 100%. I've never seen such a group. And remember, we live in Miami-Dade County. It's a multicultural uh, county. We're from all lives, people from Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, and Europe, and New Yorkers now, like, like us. So um, it's... Uh, We've all come together and you want me an Oreo? I want an Oreo. Liam, let me have one of those. Move it towards the cameras. Let me have the cream side. Nom, 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 uh, and you guys get to keep your kids safe down there. And I appreciate Brett. you coming forward. And I look forward to checking in with you. And again, Shana I hope that we have a very good and sweet new year. We could use it. Thank you. I appreciate you Happy too. All right. Thanks Thank for the so- cookie, Liam. Appreciate you. Nom, 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 nom. One more. <laughs> nom, 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 nom. Talk to you later. Oh, nom, 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 nom. Thank you very much. <laughs> Take care. Have a good night. All right, look. We need to understand not only how many of our kids are getting COVID, but you got to see where and, of course, why. That's why we have the Wizard of Odds. He's been looking at the numbers region by region. What are the distinguishers? He's got some interesting points to make. And the numbers come from the CDC. Next. I like to do the micro macro, the inside, inside, uh, outside when it comes to COVID, you know, take you into the home, take you to a place of the practitioner in the hospital where people are living it, you know, as many of us are. Right. And then let's take a look at the kind of topography. Let's look at the numbers. Let's look at the trends. All right. So we heard from the parents of that six year old, beautiful kid, Liam, uh, Florida boy quarantining because he's got asthma, but really because he was exposed to a classmate who tested positive for COVID on Friday. Okay, tonight, his parents are celebrating uh, the small victory from the judge's ruling on mask mandates while the case is appealed, meaning that DeSantis can't stop schools from mandating masks and keeping kids safe. Now, those parents aren't alone. Nationally, an overwhelming number of parents support mask mandates in schools. There you have it. Okay, and parents across the country have critical reason to feel that way, considering the numbers of coronavirus cases among kids are rising dramatically. Harry Enten, the Wizard of Odds, joins us now to break down the numbers. So let's look at it first in terms of new cases where, and then let's get to why. Yeah, I mean, here's the key thing, and I want to get to the why as well, which is that if we look at this, what do we see? We're seeing more. That's the word I keep using, more. We're seeing Look at the surge in pediatric cases versus all cases in the latest data that we have. Pediatric cases are overwhelmingly growing compared to all cases. Why? Here's the reasons why or some potential reasons why. Number one, more people are generally going out taking more risks. More. More transmissible. The Delta variant, far more transmissible. 
kids, more of them are going back to school and that potentially raises the risk. And more, more of them are not wearing masks because of a lot of the restrictions on mandates that we're seeing and more people taking risks, just generally speaking. Now, I think what's important to point out, though, is we sort of have a pandemic in different regions, right? We're in different stages. So if you take a look here at the top five states where there have been the most childhood cases over the last week, look at this, about 1,000 new cases per on average per 100,000, where they're the most new cases, and the five states where they're the least new cases, look at that, only about 125 new cases per 100,000. Now, what's the difference between these two places? Well, one thing that we know is it's not just masks where people might be wearing, uh, where people wear a lot of masks, it's not just that they're wearing masks, more people are vaccinated in those areas as well. And look at this, where there are the most new cases, how many people are actually vaccinated at this point? This, I think, tells the entire story. What we see is 72% of the folks are vaccinated of the eligible population in the states with the least number of new cases versus in the states with the most number of new cases, only about 54% are fully vaccinated of the eligible population. Now, let's uh, just hit one more beat here about the vaccine. Uh, Once again, we're hearing numbers. Oh, you know, they said it was going to be a panacea. They said the vaccine would be perfect. But now I'm hearing about more and more breakthrough cases. So, you know, maybe it's not so good. Maybe I don't need it. First, only Trump said that the vaccine was a panacea. He said it would be magic and it would make uh, the virus just disappear. You know, Fauci and the others have been qualifying it. You can argue with their messaging and whether they've stayed ahead of the data enough in terms of how they inform us. I would say they could have done better. But nobody has said it was a panacea. But what does the data show us, Harry, about the difference in terms of real illness if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated? Look, we'll concentrate right now on the childhood, uh, childhood hospitalizations, those zero to 17. Obviously, some of those folks can be vaccinated, but a lot of them can't. Look at the Trump states versus the Biden states. And we obviously know there are a lot more vaccination in the Biden states. What we see is it's a basically a flat line, right? If we go back to last September, look at the Trump states at their all time high in terms of coronavirus hospitalizations, among residents aged zero to 17. So we know, we know that in the places in which we have the most vaccinations, we know that the hospitalizations are lowest among the most vulnerable. This is to me as clear a sign that you can see that the vaccine works not just to keep cases down, but to prevent kids from going to the hospital. Right, and look, raises a couple of questions. One, uh, how many more people can you get vaccinated? But two, when can you get the kids? Because zero to 17, the bulk of that, can't get vaccinated. Harry Enton, thank you very much for taking us through it. Appreciate you. My pleasure, Chris. So on the one side, the clinical side, when will the FDA approve the vaccine for kids? Not saying to rush it, but how fast can they get it done? We have an influential parent. She's a member of Congress leading the bipartisan effort to get answers. We have Katie Porter. What has she heard from the FDA? What does she know? What does she want to know? And what's her plan to help families like hers going forward? Next. Calls for the FDA to authorize a COVID vaccine for kids are growing every day. Parents, teachers, even the American Academy of Pediatrics have joined the chorus. Now, lawmakers are leading the fight for answers. Last month, 
More than 100 members of Congress, led by Democratic Representatives Ro Khanna and Katie Porter, signed on to a bipartisan letter demanding a briefing from the FDA to clarify this timeline. Congressman Porter joins me now. It's good to see you. Uh, Three weeks ago, what have you heard? Well, we did get a response back from the FDA. It was very brief, um, essentially repeated what we already knew, which is that the FDA is working on it. Um, But we did schedule an in-person briefing when we're back in Washington so that Congress can get more information. I think the biggest concern I have is just the confusion. We have people saying beginning of next year. We have people saying November. Pfizer's going to submit the data in September. We missed a real opportunity to be in conversation with parents at back to school, which is really, trust me, as a parent, I'm getting a lot of information at back to school time would have been nice to have a better sense of what are the steps in the process and what is the potential timeline. Right. Because, you know, we care about the kids. I mean, you've got two teens and a nine year old. I've got two teens uh, and an 11 year old. The you know, we care about them being sick the younger they get. Right. It scares parents more and more. So unfortunately, the bulk of the kids that we're most worried about are in the age category that can't get vaccinated. So here's the fine line for you to walk. You need to get it done, but if they say you're rushing them, then you're really in the soup because now people aren't going to want to take it. Well, I think that's exactly what we're concerned about is the information flow. So the more that the FDA tells families about these are the steps in the process, this is where we are, this is what comes next, this is what we're looking for scientifically, these are the data that they're collecting. The more transparent they are, the more trust they're going to build in the process. So when the science says that it's safe to vaccinate kids, we'll have parents ready to go, trusting and informed. So nobody is suggesting that we rush the science, what we are suggesting is that the FDA could keep Americans better informed about this process. Right. And look, they don't have a great track record for this. This would be for emergency use for the kids. Um, And they had all this data. And we kept having all these big shots come on the show and say, with the regular vaccine for adults, um, look, uh, it's fine. It's, It's really good. They're just crossing the T's and dotting the I's. They already have all the data they need. It's fine. It's fine. They're going to approve it. But they didn't approve it. And you had about one in three people who are vaccine hesitant, not resistant, say, yeah, that would matter to me if it were approved. You know, so they didn't do that great the last time. They're not doing it great this time either. Well, and it's a black box, right? So we all need to trust the FDA and the scientific process, and I do. But as a member of Congress, I also have an obligation to get answers and to do oversight of the FDA. It's their job to build that trust in the vaccine process, in the emergency use authorization process. And part of that is helping parents understand the steps. What is coming? What is next? How many kids in the trial? What's what's the steps? And back to school, We've known back to school was coming for a while. My kids start counting down the day that school starts, the day they get out on vacation. So we could have used that critical back to school time to inform parents about what to expect, when they were likely to see this vaccine, to answer questions about it. We missed that opportunity, but I'm going to try to get information and share it with my constituents as much as I can. Look, I mean, you know, we had orientation for the middle schooler today. And everybody's running around. Oh, I forgot my mask. You know, you know, because the kids have to have the masks on in school. You know, it's public school, but they want the kids masked up. And, you know, people are on edge. They want the information. And you're right, uh, Congressman, if you don't prepare the parents, 
When they're told to give the kid the vaccine, they're going to have all those questions that they could have uh, right now. Now, let me ask you about something else that I think is actually trickier as a situation. Um, you want to prioritize child care in the new budget bill. And I totally understand the need. But politically, I think that your party is in a jam because you have this spending bill somehow married to the infrastructure bill. And I've been saying for a long time, there's no way these two things happen at the same time. And do you think that you can find a way through your party to get a reconciliation bill done on spending that gets anything done that you want? Absolutely. Look, when we talk about infrastructure, we talk about making an investment in our economy. We talk about how improving roads or bridges or ports would help our economy grow, would help us compete globally. It is the exact same conversation with regard to childcare. The lack of affordable childcare is creating a productivity crisis. It's creating a weaker economy. And there's no American, whether they are a parent or not, who doesn't benefit from a strong economy. So these things are absolutely tied together. They're tied together in President Biden's Build Back Better plan, and they're going to be moving through Congress at the exact same time. It doesn't do any good to create roads and bridges if workers can't leave their homes. They can't leave their children to go to those jobs. Now, they got to write the bill. Uh, let me just tell the audience the part of it that I think is very interesting. Low and middle income, uh, low and middle income households would pay no more than 7% of their income on child care for kids younger than age five. Wages for those in the child care workforce would also be raised to $15 uh, an hour. Now, that is really important because that's the group of parents that struggle the most uh, to make ends meet. But do you think that you should just draft that bill as a standalone? Because the moderates in your party, and the, I don't think it's just Joe Manchin. I think you got several of them. They just let him do the talking in the Senate. They don't like the price tag. Let me be clear. Investing in childcare is worth every single dollar we put in it. Let me give some quick facts. Women's workforce participation is at a 30-year low. The job numbers that we saw in August, 12% of those jobs went to women. And childcare in this country, in more than half of the states, costs more than in-state college tuition. It's not just low and middle income families who can't afford childcare, it's all American families. In the exact same way that we see a lot of families up and down the income spectrum struggling to afford college. So I'm pushing for a bill in which no American family has to pay more than 7% of its income for childcare, and those lower income workers won't pay anything. That's gonna give us the maximum workforce participation. It's gonna help businesses put workers into jobs. It's it's going to help women go into leadership positions. It's going to help us be globally competitive with other countries who have long ago made these investments in childcare. We absolutely need to make this investment in our workforce if we want to have a strong, stable and growing economy going forward. I disagree with none of that. And in fact, we have seen that exacerbated by COVID and kids having to stay home from school. Uh, and very often it has been mothers who have been sacrificed to have to stay home because they, now they can't work. They're not getting back into the workforce as, as quickly. There's no question. I'm saying the politics, are you better off making it a standalone? Because I do not think that you're going to get through your own party, a bill that has anywhere near the price tag that you guys keep throwing out there of three and a half billion, trillion, whatever it is, that they're not going to want to do it. Should you try to go small ball here? This is very important. Make it a standalone. Make people have to vote on this. 
we need to do this part and parcel because part of what we're conveying is that women are part of the workforce. Women are part of um, the economy. The, this matters. We tie these things together because they are tied together in reality in people's families. You can create jobs, you can build roads and bridges, but like I said, if people can't leave their houses, they can't take those jobs. Mm -hmm. With regard to what this is gonna cost, look, it's an investment. You look at every dollar you spend and what is our economy going to get back? And also, we are not done in Congress working to figure out how we're going to pay for this bill. We have large corporations that are paying nothing, nothing in taxes, even as low and middle income families and parents are dropping out of the workforce because they can't afford to even get to their workplaces with childcare. So we need to raise the revenues through having a fair tax system so that we can pay for things that will make our economy grow for everybody. I am not questioning the problem at all. I just want that to be clear. I'm just saying when you mix this remedy, this wrong, arguably, and the remedy in with all the other stuff that's going to be in that bill, it may get it at a minimum slowed up, if not hacked up in, you know, for the sake of some deal. That's why I was laying it out there. I appreciate you making the case. It's hard to rebut because the facts are the facts. Congresswoman Katie Porter, the problem you are right about. I hope your solution helps uh, a lot of families and a lot of women in this country because they need it. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. All right. Be well. Let's keep firing up your brains. Right. Katie Porter's super smart. But again, will her party make that deal? The need is there. Should it be a standalone? We'll see. There's a quiz. I want you to take the quiz. It's easy. You, you can't not get the questions right. And we're going to talk about it on the other side of the break. OK, go to the New York Times website. And no, I'm not. It's just this story is in the New York Times. I don't care about the Times. I, you know, I'm not any big Times fan. What I'm saying is. This quiz is there on its website. It has to do with who you are in these polarizing political times. I am going to take a basic advocacy position, although I am going to question what I'm advocating for with the mastermind behind this quiz that you're going to take. The two-party system has failed us. Everybody agrees. What is the fix? I just tweeted out the quiz, uh, a link to it on my page at Chris Cuomo. Okay, take the interactive test and then we'll talk about what that could mean for us next. Here's my position. The two party system sucks. The ideological spectrum is too broad now. We need a system that reflects the stakeholders. So many of you identify yourself as independent now because you don't want to be Democrat or Republican. And most of you don't even get the difference these days anyway. Because there seems to be left and right, but never reasonable. Did you take the time during the commercial break to take the quiz? If you did, you'd see when you went there that there is a different paradigm. Six parties, basically ba breaking each of the existing ones into three. So let's bring in the better mind uh, that put that format together for the New York Times. He's also the author of Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop, The Case for Multi-Party Democracy in America. Lee Drutman. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. Glad to have you on board. Well, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I have been saying this for, I'm much older than you. I've been saying this <laughs> for a very long time because the two-party system, being binary in nature, foments division and makes opposition a legitimate position, which is as long as Drutman sucks, I'm okay. 
And <laughs> what it does is it stymies progress. And we see where we are now and we see why it seems so intractable. But let's do it Socratically here in terms of why it won't happen. Uh, first, let's start with the benefit. Why do you believe six parties, four parties, five parties would be better than two? Well, uh, first of all, for the reason that you mentioned, which is I'm tired of you saying that, that I suck, but the lesser of two evils only works when there's just two parties. When you have four or five or six parties, you can't get away with that in campaigning. You've got to actually stand for something. Uh, so we, we get rid of the demonization. Uh, fundamental problem of our governing now is that everything is in terms of wins and losses for one of the two parties because both of the parties are trying to get back into power or getting a hold on power. So nobody wants to actually solve any public problems. Uh, they just want to have issues that uh, allow them to win the next election. Uh, and it also creates a, a situation in which we have one party that's the party of the cities of cosmopolitan, multiracial America, and another party that's the party of rural, small town, traditionalist Christian America. And they, they are so separated in geographical space and by social networks that they view the other party as a fundamental threat, as fundamentally different. And when you have a binary system in which people are sorted like that, it's really easy to demonize. But you have five, six parties, people are going to have more diverse social networks and be willing to engage with other ideas. It, it, it makes politics more complicated and that forces us to actually think. So just going right to left, basically, uh, the way Lee did it was you got your Christian conservatives that are morality first. Then you've got uh, your Trump uh, type people, your, your jingoistic populist Americans. And then you have the growth and whatever you want to call it, growth and progress, which are traditional Republicans, uh, fiscal austerity, uh, but, you know, center, center, uh, right on social issues. Then you get to uh, the new liberals, which would be like, you know, Cory Booker. Uh, and then you get, you know, which is the old Democratic Party, uh, which is where Joe Biden wants to be working for populists and that stuff. Then you get into what the Democratic Party has become, which is the intellectual elites. Right. And then you have the far left uh, progressive wing of it, which would be the AOCs and the Ilhan Omars with the defund the police and the, and the radical ideas of a lot more spending in a welfare state. So that would be the ideological spectrum, which is not that far off. In terms of timing, you know, historically, we've had moments that create fundamental change almost always from the ground up. The Revolutionary War, the 1830s, more people get the right to vote. Uh, then in the 1890s, the Gilded Age, corruption leads to the Progressive Era. You get direct primaries instead of conventions, recall elections, et cetera, et cetera. We used to have states pick the senators and eventually went to direct. So things can move. You have the civil rights era. It's about 60 year cycles of reform. You think we're ready for one? Oh, I'm ready. Are you ready? Uh, I've been ready because <laughs> this seems unworkable to me. But now here's the problem. Uh, Lee, and if you read his piece and if you look at his book, he outlines how you're going to have to change how you do congressional races to make them bigger catchment areas uh, so that you can have multi-representatives, which then would encourage uh, other parties, other stakeholders. And then what you would have is an exigency on cutting deals so that you could keep your plural, plural, plurality, you could keep your power in place. But here's the big obstacle, Lee, the Electoral College, because all these other parties would be squeezed out in the Electoral College, and it wouldn't be an equal footing 
to become president. And if a party doesn't have any chance of ever having a president, why would people get on board? Well, uh, th- that is an obstacle. You can certainly do it for Congress, and there's legislation, the Fair Representation Act, which would create multi-member districts with uh, ranked choice voting for the House, which uh, I'm very much on board with. Uh, I'd love to change the Electoral College. It's a, a, a weird, strange, antiquated thing that we have. But you're right. It, it, it is going to put a strong pressure on us having two parties at the presidential level or at least two major candidates. Although I, I will note that there have been a few elections in our political history in which we've had four parties competing for president. Uh, and those have been really uh, elections that have kind of transformed American politics, 1824, 1860, 1912. Uh, so it's certainly possible that you could see that. But I think what we would see at the presidential level is less focus on the D or the R in front of the candidate or whatever labels um, uh, are, are most popular and more focus on the candidates themselves and their policies and their promises and their character. And so people would be more open to voting for different candidates for president and those presidents would be able to govern in a, in a more broader unifying way and work with Congress of the opposite party, uh, sometimes get, or opposite parties, uh, get pushback from Congress. It, it would be more of the kind of checks and balances system that we had at an earlier era. When Absolutely. Which, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. And look, I had a caller just today on my radio show. And Lee, I want to have you on there and have a longer oh, conversation about absolutely. this. Um, say to me, hey, look, if Trump ran again, uh, I don't like what he says. I don't like a lot of these things. But you know what? I'm not voting for a Democrat. So I'd vote for him again. Yeah. That is a broken system. Lee Drutman, uh, thank you for doing the brain work of thinking about ways to make it better. And let's keep talking about it. I appreciate you. Yeah, well, let's fix it. We, we, <laughs> it's really up to us. And I mean, here's the benefit we have. We know the way it is now. It can't stay this way. All right, I'm going to take a break. Not. I'll be right back after this break with a very important bolo. Next. Bolo, be on the lookout for this guy. The FBI says this guy is the guy who planted pipe bombs near the Democratic and Republican Party headquarters the night before the Capitol was attacked. A reminder that what we all saw that day was not just another protest. The reality is people like this guy are considered domestic terrorists by the government, and he is among those still at large. The reward for finding the would-be bomber is up to 100 grand now. You know why? In part because of what he did, and part because of what authorities are worried people like him may do again. The next legit concern is in less than 10 days. September 18th, the date for what's being called perversely justice for J6. I say perverse because it's this notion that those who attacked the Capitol are somehow victims. Those we all saw storm the cradle of our democracy and attack police officers they say they report, they support. Look, I'm going to keep showing you this video because I hear and see too many trying to change the reality. And that's not going to happen on my watch especially when these same insurrectionist types are planning more chaos. An internal Capitol Police memo reviewed by CNN notes the intel community is seeing a noticeable uptick in violent chatter. So much so, they want to put the fence back up to protect the Capitol. The same people saying that freedom means not wearing a mask are really okay with people attacking the bastion of our freedom 
and planning more violence? Hashtag be better. We'll be right back with the handoff. Thank you for watching Don Lemon tonight with the big star D. Lemon right now. Those fences are going to go back up at the White House and around the Capitol, I should say. Wow. That is, um, here we are eight months later and it seems like we're in the same spot. It's because we are. What has changed? The anger, the animus, the misinformation, the disinformation. It just gets layered on. Remember the lasagna of lies? Yeah. It's just gotten higher and higher. Yeah. They're not changing their tune. The only change in tune that has been perceptible to me is right at the end of the Afghanistan exit when they were desperately trying to get people out. You had people on the right having it both ways where they'd be saying, get them out, get them out. But don't bring them here. Can't have those people here. Remember, they're brown. A lot of them are brown, right? Um, A lot of them. (laughs) But now, because you have so many on the right and a lot of veterans actively trying to get people out, they've been quieting people with their xenophobia Mm -hmm. for now. That's the only perceptible change I've seen. The big lie, the recall in election uh, in California is going to be rigged. Trump is spreading that BS again. All of the same vitriol is still at play, brother. Why would yeah. anything change? One, you have to be careful about who you uh, amplify and give a platform to. I don't like to give a ampl- platform to liars. I'm not saying that you're doing it. I meant us in general in the, in the media. But I mean, to think that we're in a place now where, as you said, has not changed much because people are still believing the lies, even with all of the video that came out of January 6th, even with all the evidence that came out about the election, the most secure election, the most secure in the history of this country. Even with that, even with the fraud it happening in Arizona and no information being found, with all of that, the lies, the misinformation, as you said, the disinformation, still but the power, rampant the in this power, country. and spilling, spilling over into the COVID. Absolutely, um, because the power is in what want, people want to be true. Yeah. Why would you not take the vaccine? Because you want to believe that you won't need it and that the risk is worth it to stick it to the people that you want to be against. That's what it is. You want it to be true. You want that on January 6th, they didn't really do anything wrong. You want to believe that it's about the deep state. You want to believe that it's about everybody else. Those are the people that are susceptible. The problem is it doesn't take many to do something really awful, maybe in 10 days. Yeah. Brainwashed. It is a cult. Sorry, that's the truth. Okay, I'll see you, brother. You're the man. D. Lemon, I love you. (laughs) You know what? You're okay. Sometimes I love you, sometimes I don't. I aim for mediocrity. (laughs) Anything above that is gravy. I'm only kidding. I'll see you soon. Thank you, brother. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.